Hello and welcome back to the Out of Hours podcast. I hope you're doing well. Before we start, I'm excited to introduce our sponsor for this episode. This episode is sponsored by Tribe. Tribe is now one of the UK's leading plant-based nutrition brands and they've got a community of over 100,000 everyday athletes. Tribe creates delicious, all-natural plant-based snacks, which are also gluten-free. And they're giving Out of Hours listeners a very special discount. You can get your first pack of six of their nutrition bars for just £2, which includes shipping. Head to wearetribe.co slash outofhours and use the code tribeoutofhours, which is all one word. I'll leave a link in the show notes and let me know if you check it out. There's never going to be that right time. You're never going to have that level of self-confidence that is just perfect enough or right enough for you to now start it. You find it after you've done it. You find that level of confidence when you're doing it already. When you're in that process, you're building that confidence. Welcome to the Out of Hours podcast, the podcast for people who are creating things they think should exist in the world. I'm Georgia Ritter, founder of outofhours.org, a community for people with side projects. Over the last year, I've been spending my time exploring how to help more people progress the ideas that they're interested in. I believe that everyone has a great idea and working on things we care about can help us be more creative, more resilient and more confident. But there are barriers that stop us from starting, sometimes time, money or network, but also self-belief, not knowing where to start and wondering what other people might think. On this show, I'll explore the stories of people who have followed their curiosity, been brave and started a side project, only to turn it into something much bigger than they ever thought possible. I'll explore the stories of nonprofits, businesses, creative projects, and social movements to understand the practical first steps they took, the doors these small ideas can open, and the magic that happens when you start taking your own ideas seriously. Our guest today is Zaharan Sophie, the founder of Talking Circle. Talking Circle is an Instagram account designed to keep people informed on social issues that don't receive enough media attention. Zaharan started this account on the side of her job in finance with the idea of creating a safe space for people to both discuss and learn about social issues. It is less than a year old, but has already grown to over 44,000 followers and has had a huge impact, both in terms of educating people on the key issues and also helping drive signatures for charity campaigns. This was a slightly different episode than normal. We do talk about the origin of the idea, but we also talk about polarisation, personality politics, cancel culture, and why she thinks all celebrities should be changemakers. This episode also comes with a content warning. We talk about the topic of femicide, gender-based violence, and other topics that some listeners may find upsetting. If you want to avoid this content, please do check the exact times which are in the show notes, and feel free to skip over it. Please take care of yourselves, and I hope you enjoy the episode. So Talking Circle came on my radar, I want to say a few weeks ago, but ever since I followed it, and I don't know if it's just one of those, I think there's like a German word for this when you see something and then you see it everywhere. Um, but definitely since I followed you, I've kind of seen lots of people reposting and it's it's kind of been in my on my radar. I'd love to start by just asking when it started and what the initial kind of impetus was to get it off the ground. So I actually had the idea for almost three years. That's how long it's taken me. And it's quite important to make that point because it just shows that it takes us much longer to act on something than just getting it done. So getting it done may take you a few months or whatever, but just thinking about that idea could take years. I I realized there was a problem, problem we've all been aware of, that there is a this increasing polarization in uh, both on in the world that we live in and in the society that we live in. So we all seem to end up in pockets where we all think the same, we do the same things. We are not really exposed to people that have opposing views at us, that we are not exposed to new ideas as much as we should be. And so we're all living in this little bubble where we believe the world looks like a certain way and everyone else thinks a certain way. But when it comes down to important events like the elections, things could completely take us by surprise. It, and let's just use Brexit, Brexit as an example. People were so surprised by the results. 
but then again you're in your own little world and we're not exposed to people that have a completely different background to us and so what I wanted to do in uh, Talking Circle actually it was supposed to be a digital free movement <laughs> so it was supposed to be a an event-based movement where we created an event a safe space for people to go in a circle and talk about these really, really important issues that affect all of us, but and some contentious issues that you may feel like, oh, I can't say this online. And we wanted to create a safe space for people to have those conversations in a way where you can come out of that conversation and be open to changing your opinion on something having been presented some different information or uh, experience or whatever. So that is what it was supposed to be. Firstly, I was supposed to launch around March, then the pandemic hit, then I needed to change things quickly. You may have thought about the idea, but you need to adapt fast. If the idea no longer works, then you need to think about a way of making it work or just completely abandon it. So I thought, okay, what? let me go back to the drawing board. What was the purpose of what I was trying to create again, that was to allow people to have the space to talk and to share really important information that would impact us all. How could we do that? First, we need to be educated on an issue. If people are not educated about specific issues, they are less likely to talk about it. We don't feel comfortable to, to debate the issue because we don't have the facts. So what we wanted to do was to go back to the drawing board, think about what is the point here? The point is, we're not all equal and actually that inequality is growing and actually the people right at the bottom because of the pandemic will be much worse off than before the pandemic if we're ever going to tackle an issue it's more urgent now that we close that gap because that gap is now widening your initial mission was around getting people in a room to talk about something that maybe they're not necessarily that comfortable talking about online or they don't have the facts about. But are you talking about specific issues or are you talking about, you know, any topic that's on their mind? Did you have a focus? Yes, the focus will be specific social issues. It could range from poverty, uh, housing issues, you know, it could go down to the justice system. It varies. But actually, what we tend to forget is that it may seem like completely different disconnected issues, but they're not. Every issue is intersectional. When we think about intersectionality, we, we know that if you're poor, you're more likely to be homeless. So that they both are linked. If we can tackle the poverty, then we'll have less people becoming homeless. And then if we think about specific issues around racism, that impacts people's rights in terms of employment, for example. It impacts remuneration, how much people get paid. And when we look at the crime rate, poverty and crime are interlinked. We try on this platform to focus on specific issues. We try and be as broad as possible so we can cover a wide range of issues to help educate people and realize that ah, when the government's making these changes, it impacts you. What this platform is doing is giving the people information about what the real problem is using statistics. And then when a change comes about, people are a lot more informed about it, whether it benefits them or not. Just to give you uh, this example, the council tax is going up, I think, next month, and they're increasing it by about, like, say, 3%. When we look at that, some areas like Lambeth would pay in proportion to the house that they live in. Lambeth is a poorer borough than Mayfair, for example. They're paying a higher proportion of the council tax based on their property compared to people in Mayfair. So our system isn't working. If they're educated enough to understand that the council tax system doesn't work and it disadvantages them, they're willing to now go to their MP and say, this is not right. Please do fight to change and reform the council tax system and how it works. But people don't act because they don't know how bad it is. And that's the whole point of this platform is just to educate people first. And then what we do is give them an action point to get people to participate in making a difference. So is there like a target audience? So is there, a, is, is there someone in mind that you kind of want to educate or is it anyone who's interested? To be honest, we don't have a target audience because we genuinely believe that everybody wants to know what is going on? I'd say over 50% of them are between the ages of 24 to 35. We've got quite a range, a broad range, you know, different demographics that are looking at us. There are professionals, there are students, 
Lots of campaign organizations follow us. Our platform is quite different. We don't have many other platforms that are similar to us. We're focused on various different issues. And I think that's what people like about us. Things that aren't on the news is what we post about. So it must be your one year anniversary, right? Sometime this month? June. Is it? <laughs> In June. In June. Um, gosh, so you're less than a year old. What was the first few months like? Horrible. It was horrible. So we launched really uh, on Facebook first. We held a few events on Facebook. It was much nicer on Facebook. It was a smaller community. We had about 200 people. We organized some events, which was incredible, uh, all private. It was a safe space for everyone to talk. It was great. We moved on to Instagram around June. Unfortunately, uh, yeah, a lot of things came out there. The whole thing with George Floyd came just before that. And then the protesting started with the BLM movement. We started doing Instagram lives with other white um, influencers on the platform because I just wanted to show that it was important that we started having conversations together and that at a time when um, feelings were so intense and the environment was quite it felt a bit hostile. I think I thought it was so important to really start off talking circle with people actually talking. You know, I'm black, the influencers were white. I think I just wanted to show people that we have to start talking. And the only way that we could be in a better position is to talk. I think it was quite a negative space at the time. So when we first started, actually, it was really, really hard, really hard. But just my, my mental space, I needed to be away from it but because we launched I put myself in it um then I got fatigued by the end of it um and then I just thought I can't I'm not helping anybody when I'm constantly being triggered by the content so I need to either make this a platform that fully focuses on racism or make this a platform that fully focuses on just various social issues and that is how, that's when I made the decision to cover everything. We still cover racism uh, quite a lot, but we just wanted to keep it varied because I felt like racism was literally just one aspect of the problem that we've got going. It's a huge one, but it's linked to various different things. It still is very hard, but now we have a team of three, which is great. So it takes the burden off me a little. So you started with the Facebook group and events, and then when you moved to Instagram, did you kind of make a conscious decision to keep it as an Instagram? Yeah, uh, I feel like, I don't know about you, but Facebook's just become like basically a contact book for me. The plan is to really grow our platform on Instagram um, and then really for me to focus on Twitter a lot more. Your bio is keeping you informed on social issues that don't get enough media attention and you're UK based. Um, how do you choose which stories to cover? That's an interesting question. How do I choose? There is no method to my choice. I think I just think, would people want to know this? The answer is, if the answer is yes, then I will post. For example, we recently made a post about the fact that homeless people are now able to open basic bank accounts. Um, a lot of people are like, what? You can't do that? Well, no, because you don't have a fixed address. And it's just not something that we would have thought about. But now HSBC, and I believe Monzo, does allow you to open a basic bank account. Another thing that people don't know about, if you're homeless, you can't vote. You need a fixed address. But now that's changed. Uh, the government has allowed people to, if you don't have a fixed address, to, to find a way for you to be able to vote. We all, it's our right to vote. And because of your circumstances, that has been impacted. People need to know that. People need to know um, that there is affordable therapy out there. That post went viral as well. We had about 15,000 people saving that one post because everybody's under the assumption that therapy is a luxury, which it is. However, there are so many subsidized, uh, affordable therapies out there for people. So those are the kind of resources that needs to be out there and is beneficial for people to know. So I just make that decision based on the fact that if it's interesting to me, it'll be interesting for someone else. And do you see it as a, as a form of journalism? <laughs> uh, I want to stay away from that because I think 
journalists are incredible, incredible. You know, they're qualified uh, people who have tons of experience. I think it's different. I think I would say we're like data analysts. <laughs> we use reports. We look at research reports that's been done. We use the data from there to inform people. The purpose of our group is to ensure that we collect compelling data to enlighten people. Those are the connections we're trying to make for people. It's interesting because it's kind of like it's everyone's right to publish, you know, stuff that they think is interesting or, you know, a selection of things that, that they think people should know. But then when it starts to look like an objective publication because it's got a certain number of followers or because it's quite um, well produced it can look as if it's almost like a um, reporting but it's just a challenge I think of modern media where lots of people increasingly are getting their news from Instagram but it's an interesting question I was wondering if you had any thoughts on the kind of obligation that you have to kind of fact check and and make sure that you're sharing stories across different issues and, and how you think about that. That's a, a really important question, something that I've been thinking about a lot actually recently, because when I started the platform, it was biased. It was based on my opinion on where we should be on equality, my opinion on where we should be on racism. As the platform grew bigger, I decided to step away from that and allow it to be more objective and take my opinions out of it. We still have room for improvement. However, if people are looking into certain issues, it needs to come from a place of like where you're presenting them both sides of the story. I think that is a fair thing to do and the right thing to do. I mean, if I am then presenting the issue from my point of view, then I will make that very clear in the caption. I will put in a lot of eyes. You know, I think this, I think that, but I've, com I've almost completely stepped away from that. The reason why is because you're less likely to trust a post if it's somebody's opinion. We want to come in with some research. The research is never always going to cover absolutely everything. However, we try and provide reliable source, reliable information on these issues. To give you an example, one of our posts was about housing. You will see that some of our posts there's a bit of like a funny tone to it, uh, some humor behind some of our posts because of the amount of triggering, quite heavy stuff that we post. We like to keep it a bit light, I think, as human beings, there's only so much we can take. We become desensitized to it. So sometimes I like to throw in a few funny memes. Uh, so a lot of it will be about our politicians. Now, just to give you an example, we posted something, a funny video. It shows a huge house being uh, transported through the motorway and we said oh if I can't afford a house in London I'll just drag one from up north like this although I found it funny a lot of people commented from the north saying actually there's a north and south divide people up north are a lot poorer they can barely afford a house up north and because as a Londoner I just you know thought London is expensive I just is of course up north is cheaper but even the people who live up north can't afford those houses that is in their area so we can't always cover everything, but I realize that we need to come from an objective uh, point of view and understand that the world we this what I see isn't everything, and therefore I need to understand and learn certain parts that I I can't see. Uh, so I think in that it needs to be more objective, and that's where we're going. It's so interesting because it links to your original kind of mission of setting up a space where people feel able to discuss difficult topics or topics they don't know much about. There's so much to be said, I think, about how Instagram contributes to the polarization. As you mentioned, like the filter bubble, there is almost like a culture of outrage that seems to have developed on social media, largely because the fact is literally the form of the media is that you can't make a nuanced point. It's a short caption or it's a tweet or it's like a post. And I think so you have to discipline it to be this one point thing. But on the other side, it allows two-way conversation, which is amazing compared to kind of traditional media. How do you navigate that kind of polarization that happens? And then obviously there are opportunities for growth and for learning. How do you navigate this kind of environment where everything kind of gets, seems to get taken out of context because the media is so short, whether it's a tweet, whether it's a caption? What we do is we would look at 
I'll give you an example. So the media will post something on the news. Of course, as you said, the headlines is sometimes kind of clickbaity, um, you know, so they'll just try and grab your attention. So whatever's been posted on the news, we'll look at it. And what we'll do is then we'll look at the issue and then research that problem. We'll research that problem and then give people two sides to the story and say, okay, these are the facts. This is what's going on. That's what the news is trying to tell you. What do you think now? And as you said, traditional media doesn't allow you. Well, there is a comment section on the Daily Mail on most of the news outlets. However, um, we on our comment section, people are then able to, off the back of that post, have these conversations. You would have seen on a lot of our posts that people genuinely have really, really good debates in our comment section. Huge, really, really long debates. What we try and do is, as a platform, be quite sensible in moderating the comment section so that people are not trying to spread hateful um, messages or whatever. So I think I know the difference between someone who's willing to debate and someone who's just there to create chaos. And if there are trolls out there who are not interested in debating and use foul language, we will block them because they are not in a position where they're willing to listen. It's completely different to someone who has a different opinion to you, but are open to hearing what you're going to say. People from the other side, they may have a completely controversial opinion. A lot of them do, mostly men, mostly young men. We see how that conversation debate goes because almost always someone will respond to them and that conversation grows and I think what is interesting is that in this platform I realize that if I don't like somebody's opinion it doesn't mean it's a bad one it's just a different opinion to mine and therefore if they've got that opinion could you potentially change their opinion or could you change your opinion so I think those are the conversations that are quite important and on our platform. And we allow people that safe space to talk in the comment section. And we try and close that polarization issue by allowing people that space to talk. Because people genuinely use research and reports. And I find that incredible. But sometimes it's very, very difficult because people's opinions are really out there. When he was in power, we were posting a lot about Trump. and. Everybody from the MAGA camp was always in our comment section. What were they saying? What were they not saying? We post a lot about, uh, you know, feminist issues, um, any issues that impact women. And so whenever Trump has made specific comments or statements about either women or Muslim people, we would post about it. And they'll have these conversations in, in the comment section. And interestingly, the people who weren't there just to, I don't know, uh, use hateful uh, language, I think they were, some of them were very much open to having that conversation to say, well, why don't you like him? He's done this for us. Maybe you don't understand he's done this for us. And then people will have those kind of conversations there. And I, I find that quite healthy. It's okay if you believe that he's the best president you've ever had. But just explain why. And people do. I think it's interesting to bring up the Trump example. I mean, there's so much that's been said about this topic. There is such a sort of swell of sentiment publicly against or for someone, so much so that it, what's the word, like suffocates that that debate. Because as you say, if, if a Trump supporter believes that uh, their employment conditions have gone up or whatever it is, or their opportunities have gone up, then it's much better to, for them to have an open debate with someone and say, has this happened? Has this not? This is the way I feel. Otherwise, the whole thing gets sort of swept up in one polarizing debate, which is for and or against. And I think lots of people do have strong opinions about Trump, but sometimes they can cloak the nuance of the conversation, which means that actually the aim that I think they aim to have, which is progress, can, can be slower because there isn't a kind of conversation which allows people to discuss and, and get to a place where they understand each other's view. I agree. And I think that there are two things, there are two problems that are going on at the same time. Mm. One is that people are too scared to say who they voted for. And it's interesting when you saw the latest uh, US election, most of the celebrities online were just saying vote. They didn't say who for, they said vote. Yes. So that's the sort of stance people are taking. They just, everyone is 
in this whole secretive way of um, thinking, oh, if I say, oh, I voted for this, I'm going to receive backlash. Everybody's scared of the backlash. The second problem is that people are voting for the person. They're not voting for the policies. They don't understand that you're supposed to look at the policies, not the person. The person is just leading the party. They don't write the policies. They don't um, you know, change anything. They're just leading the party to execute the policy that was written by the party. The policy wasn't written by the leader. So if I use the example of the current Labour Party, I'm part of the Labour Party, I'm a member of the Labour Party, I am not a fan of Keir Starmer. However, I support the policies. I'm voting for the policies. All his job, his in his job is to execute the policy and nothing else. I don't care what Keir Starmer's personality is, I you know, or whatever. So it, that doesn't really matter to me. His loyalty matters, but I don't care about anything else. So that is the problem because people are just voting for the person, which is why they're so scared to say who they're voting for. If they were voting for the party, they would know, oh, my party values is this. These are the policies. That's why I'm now voting for the party. They'll have the confidence to say that, but they don't have the confidence to say that because people are just scared of saying, oh, I'm voting for Boris. If I vote for Boris, that means that I support his personality, what he does outside of his job. Why does that matter? It's got nothing to do with anything. And the fact that Boris is quite reckless in the things that he says has got nothing to do with the Conservative Party. I guess I'm wondering if there's a case here where people are actually doing the research on the policies. There were some people, I think I read an article, I think it was with, I want to say it was with Latina voters, but I can't remember, um, of Trump who said, listen, we don't like him as an individual, but he has made our kind of lived experience better. And I think that there is such a, a sentiment in, in the media and putting so much on the individual that actually if someone voted for something based on policies, they would be associated with the individual who's executing the policies. That's absolutely spot on. That's exactly what the problem is. And I think it's a dangerous environment to be in where you're now associating that person and their entire personality, their entire life, attaching that to the party. They're just the leader of the party. We, I think that's why we need to stay away from looking into what these politicians are doing in their private life and, and their marital issues or whatever. It has absolutely no, nothing to do with their job and it's got nothing to do with the Labour Party. For example, if Keir Starmer or Boris did something completely atrocious, it could bring the entire party down. So that is something that is quite um hurtful for uh, for our politics. It's just so shaky on shaky foundation at the moment because we're attaching the personal brand, the brand of that leader to the, the party. Of course, it matters what the values of that leader is, his, his personal values. But I think we need to stay away from voting for the person and just focus on the policies. You're absolutely right. Going back to the Latinx community, I think I believe this was in Florida uh, where some of the Latinx community were um, overwhelmingly supportive of uh, Trump. He has benefited them in terms of taxes, tax cuts and stuff. So I could understand that. But again, they voted for what they thought was best for them. And you're absolutely right. They did look at the policies. Just to move to another hotly debated topic of cancel culture, because I think it links very much to that. And I want to use one example, which is from your Instagram, where you screenshot Davina McCool and said it was disappointing um, what she said. And then someone commented saying, honestly, hope she loses her job. This isn't acceptable as a public figure. It's an interesting kind of discussion to have on the, the role of cancel culture in holding people to account. When does it become a form of accountability holding? And when does it become just a way of what's the word like censoring debate from people who say something that's, you know, maybe not very well informed or um, not very sensitive? What is, what is your thoughts on the role of cancel culture? What is the difference between holding people to account and sort of canceling them and, and stopping debate? Um, at the moment, they're, I think, treated the same. The definition of cancel culture changes, I think, every day in social media, to be honest. So I'll just stick to what that post was about, because I think it's quite important that I, I make clear that I am not in the business of cancelling people just because of their mm. actions. Uh, I feel like everybody can change their opinion on things. Everyone can be wrong. I can be wrong. And you need to feel safe and have the space to be able to make things right you know 
I'll just read out her tweet because I think it's fair to unfair to misquote her. So, female abduction murder is extremely rare. Yes, we should all be vigilant when out alone, but this level of fear-mongering isn't healthy. And men's health, men's mental health is an issue as well. Calling all men out as dangerous is bad for our sons, brothers, partners. She goes on to say in a separate tweet, men hesitate walking home in the dark too. And why should they? Because there are bad people out there. We should all be vigilant and as parents raise good adults. There are several things I could say about that. And the reason why I screenshotted her is because Davina has a huge platform. Most of our followers are women. And so when they see a post like this from Davina, who I absolutely adored for and still do, it's so uh, it can be so hurtful, especially if you as a person has experienced a relative, um, a family member or a friend or whatever that has actually been abducted or murdered, especially when women in the UK are killed every three days. That's already downplaying something that's quite serious. Then what I think was problematic is the fact that she threw in men's mental health. It's a completely separate issue. It was just unnecessary and uncalled for, really. So I think in terms of going back to your conversation about cancel culture, that wasn't our intention. It wasn't our intention to cancel her out. It was our intention to say, based on the facts, we just want to make clear, because this is an educational platform, that female murders is not rare. And this is why. And we use the specific statistic from a femicide census. An organization is an incredible organization that focuses on femicide. So we wanted to make that very clear. And we didn't want to downplay or uh, sort of gaslight women's fears of being outside. And so when her platform was saying that, I just wanted, we wanted to make sure as an educational platform that we just corrected her statement. We weren't cancelling her as a person. We just wanted to correct it. And also, yes, I think part of me was disappointed. Part of me was disappointed. The fact that she just couldn't Google what female murders were in UK and just say, if she just said female abduction is rare, fine, fine. But just don't throw in loads of other things. And yes, men are scared. Fine, men may be scared to walk, but I'll tell you who is actually scared to walk outside. Black young men. They are the ones who are scared to walk outside, who have the fear of being stabbed by somebody else. So again, that's not that's not what she said. She just said all men, you know, men are scared. Some men are scared to be um, to walk outside. Um, so I just feel like there are certain issues she could have really talked about and amplified and raised awareness as someone who has a big platform, but she just didn't use it very well. There are kind of two ways to approach it, and I think one is. Is it someone's obligation when they have a large following to say something that, that people are going to agree with? And then the second question is, when someone says something that's factually wrong, let's say in this case, what is the right way to approach that topic? Because it feels like if she can come back and say, oh, I, I didn't realize that actually there's a lot higher than I thought, you know, that would be a very healthy online space to be in where someone can read, can, someone can say something freely in order to open the debate, because maybe other people are thinking the same thing, then someone else can come back and say, hey, I can see where you might have come to that conclusion. Actually, there's been this report recently published that shows the opposite. Um, and I'm not sure where I stand on it, so I'm not making a, a point here. But but I do I can see that there's a danger in calling out individuals and saying they shouldn't use their platform in that way, which actually means that these conversations aren't had. I agree. We need to have the space to have these kind of conversations and we need to have the space to, um, to, you know, we need to be able to change our mind on things. And yeah, you're right. Maybe in an ideal world, it would have been something like someone could have tweeted, okay, this is the actual facts. And then she would have retweeted and, and apologized. That isn't what happened. I think what I'm trying to say is that, yes, they have a responsibility to be responsible, especially on specific issues that impacts a huge part of the population. I do feel like in an ideal world, celebrities could also be part of change and try and get laws changed. I do feel like they've actually have that much power, probably more than, you know, small MPs. So 
when she made that comment, it's not necessarily cancelling her as a person or, or saying that you're not allowed that opinion. It's just saying that you're not helping create that change. You're actually making it worse. You're making the situation worse by downplaying the whole thing. That is what men have been doing. They just downplay the crime, the violence against women. If I felt like she was actually improving the situation, that would have been good. I just felt like she was doing more harm than good by putting that statement out. And so when someone as big as her makes that statement, it makes people think, well, oh, surely it can't be that bad. It can't be that bad because Davina said it's not that bad. We trust Davina. And people just won't make the effort to look up statistics. This is, I think, another topic. Should everyone be activists or should everyone be change makers? But it's just a really interesting, like modern phenomenon for so many people to end up with these large followings that have come from from places that aren't really related to the impact that they can have. And so they, I guess it's a new thing for people to, to learn. You're right that with following comes power and influence. And that's something that is important to recognize. Let's use racism as an example. Some may argue that those who don't act are part of the problem, right? If that is really the case, that applies to everything. So if you don't actually act as, you know, uh, to tackle an issue or to address it, then you are part of the problem. So if you are in a position of power even, so that I, I believe everybody should be change makers. Why would you not want someone right next to you to have the same rights as you or to live equally as you? Like, why would you not want that? And if you're not changing anything or participating at least, then I do genuinely believe that you're part of the problem. Now, I believe there's an, an extra pressure, an extra responsibility for people to be change makers, especially when they have that level of influence. The influence is there. Why would you not want to change it for the positive? Why would you not want to utilize the level of power that you've got to create that change? So going back to Davina's post, Davina is her empire, her fitness empire is all around the fact of like female empowerment. That's how she's wrapped her brand. That is her. When we were selecting that tweet to post, we did it knowing who Davina is, knowing what her empire and brand is about, and knowing her influence and power. It's the combination of all of that that really increased her responsibility. She's the one that decided to build an empire based on female empowerment. That's what her fitness empire, that's why it was successful. I, I do believe it's all our responsibility to be change makers. I actually, if I could abolish one word, it would be activist. Surely we all are. Like, what the hell are we doing if we don't want the people around us to live well as well as us or we want better for ourselves too? But I feel like that responsibility historically was there. But it's a lot easier on social media to target a specific celebrity and say, but what are you doing? Someone else has posted a black square. Why have you not posted a black square? Yeah, I don't want to go on about this particular tweet because it's very specific. But what cancel culture comes from is this idea of like, oh, it's so outrageous that, that you didn't know that. Some people don't know stuff. They need to educate themselves or they need to be educated. This idea that we should all know everything at once and there's no kind of like work in progress it is dangerous. It's better in a way to, for people to say their misconceptions and everyone for, to grow through kind of organized and rational debate than it is to kind of keep it all in, in fear of being kind of retributed. I agree. And I'm, we live in a world where everybody feels like they need to be an expert. Everybody feels like I must know this. I must Google this now and get every single information before I say something. No, you don't. You don't need to know everything. Um, you can just have an opinion and, and that be that. Absolutely right. And you're right. You're right in saying that. But be clear. Say, uh, in my opinion, when you're putting something out, don't just put out a statement when you have a huge platform as if it is a factual statement. In some ways, it's, um, it's misleading. If you put out a statement, it just looks like for someone as influential as her, that that is fact. It's not a fact. Just say that it was in my opinion, I believe this. But because of it, the way it was put out, and especially in this day and age, everything, there's so much misinformation out there. If you're being misled, you could genuinely come off seeing that tweet thinking, that must be a fact. 
that must be right. She said it, it must be a fact. So that is the problem that we had uh, with that. But anyway, going back to cancel culture, you're absolutely right. People should have their opinions. You can't know everything. You can completely change your mind and that's absolutely fine to do so. And you should have the space to do that as human beings. We've done that all the time. We do it all the time. We change our minds on us every, every day about small things. We should be able to do that about big things too. Mm. You work in finance, right? Yes. Do you ever worry that the stuff you put on the side conflicts with the stuff you do on a day-to-day basis? Initially, it didn't. And whatever I did outside of work was what I did. But I found that in recent years, it really has impacted or it has created some conflict at work. The company, it's a, it's a healthcare communications company. It is a PR company as well. We own lots of companies because we're a PR company. We're very, very careful about what goes out there. And so a lot of the stuff that I've been doing sometimes does go back to my employers. Just to give you an example, off the back of some protests I was leading, George Galloway wanted me to be on his show. um, And it came from our CEO to to ask me to be on there and I had to decline. Um, So it, it... my company's definitely very aware of the stuff I'm doing outside of work. Um, so every time I have to make it clear that my opinions are not associated with the company, completely separate, they are my opinions. I do feel like it does conflict with my work, but I think it's more the fact that I work for a big organization like mine. It is a capitalist dog eat dog kind of thing. So I think um, it does conflict with my values sometimes. And and you know about Talking Circle? Unfortunately, yes. Not by choice, but it's come out on the news um, when I was doing some of the protests and it went back to my bosses. So one of our my campaigns that I was running was for the Burkini campaign. I'm not sure if you remember in France when the French woman, a uh, French Muslim woman was wearing a burkini, which is like a full swimsuit where your head, your hair is covered. So it kind of looks like a surfing uh, like a wetsuit, but it's, it's it's called a burkini. It covers your hair. So she was wearing that. I believe she was in Nice. She was on the beach and the police ordered for her to take off the burkini, so take off her headpiece, forced her actually um, in, in public. And so that started a wave of protest in, in London and in around UK. When I was leading some of the protests, because it got quite big, It was on the news and then I think it went back to my work because they asked me uh, what my name was. And I think it's very easy when you Google my name to find where I work. And I think some of the employees just don't believe in women wearing the hijab and they felt that that was problematic for them. And I think that's where the conflict starts. Um, But again, it was just my work, my individual opinion. And that's it was it had nothing to do with the company. And it was the same thing when I was organizing the vigil for Christchurch Massacre in New Zealand. it was important for them to know that I worked in, in this company and in finance. It had nothing to do with it. I, I didn't authorize for them to publish my name on the Daily Mail uh, with the company. So um, I had to, had to get that removed. So it, it is quite difficult uh, to sometimes be a campaigner and to work for a big finance organization like that. How do you see it kind of going in the future? So with Talking Circle London platform, with us, we are really, really trying to build a community where we can all try and learn something new together and for all of us to participate in change for everybody, not just ourselves, not just for our area, but change for everybody on this little island of ours. We've got the mayoral elections coming up in May. We've got the general election 2024. We have to come prepared for these elections. The purpose of the platform is just to get people to understand that the reason why people are disadvantaged is not because of them, which is what the media portrays. The way we try and demonize um, poor people is appalling. The reason why they are poor is because of the system and that the f- the fact that the system has been suffocating them through austerity measures. Looking at these issues on a day-to-day basis must be very challenging. As you say, you know, some of the stuff is particularly triggering, um, but all of it, I think, is quite difficult to be thinking about all the time especially when you're not when you've got to kind of 
day job that you're working on with most of your time. How do you deal with the kind of overwhelm that comes with all of that? I am trying. Um, I feel like um, as human beings, there's genuinely so much we can take. There were various things that were coming off uh, that were quite so quite personal. So that would be racism and various other things um, that were coming up at the same time. And the problem with this platform is people are expecting you to educate them on issues that is triggering for you. And so to be doing all of that unpaid, you know, emotional labor that you have to give in, it's so it can be exhausting. But what I've been doing is to really set my boundaries, you know, make sure I people respect it, that I respect it. For example, I have kind of stayed away from the comment section. Most of the time, I let people just talk to themselves, like talk to other people. I just wanted to open the space for them and not make it about me. I've mixed it up a bit. So on the platform, I post a bit more positive news. So every four negative news, I am aware that I now need to post something funny or something good. It's taken a huge toll on me. But then again, you know, I'm seeing a wonderful therapist. I've got her if I feel like it's quite hard. I'm very, very open about making sure that we all take breaks. And I also tell my followers that, okay, we've posted quite a lot of negative stuff. Just take a break. Just don't look at our platform. Do what you need to do. Like just ignore the post if you want. But yeah, it is definitely difficult to constantly navigate through that. We've never, ever in our lifetime had 24-hour news. So if you remember when you were younger, the news would come up at 6 p.m., 10 p.m. Never have we had the news constantly running on our phones, constant, constant, constant. Now we have the news alert. It's, it never ends. And that's a completely extra layer of stress that we really need to talk about. Yeah, I think that's such good advice. Do you have any advice for anyone who wants to set up something similar or has been inspired by your story? I'm very short, just do it. Like Nike says, just bloody do it. What I've realized was that you're never going to be confident enough or get to a point where you feel like, oh, this is the right time. There's never going to be that right time. You're never going to have that level of self-confidence that is just perfect enough or right enough for you to now start it. It's just, you find it after you've done it. I feel like you find that level of confidence when you're doing it already. When you're in that process, you're building that confidence. Confidence doesn't get built before you get there or before you start setting something up. You build the confidence as you keep going and you keep building that whole new idea into fruition. I think that is when you really come alive and not before. I must st stress that um, if you're going to set up anything on social media to really, really protect yourself and just be very clear on what your boundaries are before you set up the platform on social media. Because I think what a lot of people do, and the mistake I made was I'll set up the platform and they'll be like, oh, everyone's open to talk and blah, 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 but not set my boundaries and not try to understand, well, what would really upset me? What would hurt me uh, emotionally? What would be a direct attack? What would a direct attack on me look like? You know, and so how can I make my boundaries clear? So I think those are the things that need to really, before you even think about going out into a world of like millions, if, if not billions of people on social media, is just to really make your boundaries very clear. Because as soon as people read that, you don't need to explain yourself again. You've set the boundaries, you've explained, you've communicated it, make it clear whether you need to pin it or put it on your highlights on Instagram. And that would be that. Then you know, actually, this person has used this word. It's a block. How did you go about setting your boundaries? Is it just in terms of interaction and blocks or is it also like time spent? You know, what were, what were the practical steps you did? One of them was on Instagram, you have a setting where you can censor words. So in the settings, you can put in, I don't know, the B word or whatever. If they use that word, it won't appear in the comment section. So there are tools out there on Instagram that you can use and just watch funny videos. I just love 
memes. I love funny videos. I just feel like as soon as I post something really serious, I'll just go into my favorite meme accounts. I have five meme accounts. I'll go into those meme accounts, just watch funny videos because I need something to to really just heal myself before I come off social media. I need the stress levels to go down. So those are like not necessarily boundaries, but like those are things that I do to really just protect myself and my uh, mental health. What's been like a highlight? Because we've talked a lot about like the intense and the hard side of it, but what's been a moment where you've thought, yes, this is this is worthwhile? Oh, it has to be. Uh, I mean, there's quite a few, actually. One of them was the campaign with Crisis, the homelessness organization, had a massive campaign for deportation. The government uh, in December changed one of their legislations because we've got this awful, awful hostile and environment laws that are coming through. What they've done is changed something in the law that said that homelessness now is grounds for deportation. So even if you've got the right to remain in UK, if you become a rough sleeper, and the term rough, you know, really varies, it's such a vague thing, that's enough grounds to deport you back. Crisis did this campaign. We saw that crisis campaign wasn't kicking off and we're like, oh my God, this is huge news. Like, what is going on? How can we change this? We can only change this by signing some petitions, but also we need an organization to actually write a letter to the government. So we went and posted something, the news, and then tagged the crisis petition. We had like, honestly, something like 80,000 likes. And then we had everyone going to crisis on their link and crisis had over 25,000 signatures that came directly from us which they emailed us about they were really lovely and had a call with them as well then off the back of that they had tons of new donors into crisis so because all of that happened the letter now went on to the uh, ministers and they are now working with crisis to make uh, some changes so that is one of like the key successes that's happened early this year. And now I've got a great relationship with Crisis and, and work closely with them. And so, yeah, I think that has been one of the ones that we, I felt like this was the whole point of Talking Circle. And I hope 10 times more of these kind of examples happen on the platform. Thanks so much for joining the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to the Out of Hours podcast. If you want to check out more about Out of Hours, head to outofhours.org. And if you enjoyed this episode, please do consider leaving it a review.